Thank you for joining me for the Delivering Remarkable podcast, a look behind the scenes at the team members, projects, and care that are driving the Novant Health Medical Group. I'm Dr. Pam Oliver, president of the Novant Health Physician Network. On today's podcast, I sat down with Senior Physician Executive, Dr. Michael Hoban. Michael is leading our care design team as we move into the value-based care world. Well, Michael, or Dr. Hoban, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Um, I'm gonna go off script, and for anyone who doesn't know you, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm a family physician by training, have been with Novant Health for, wow, almost 19 years now, um, and has served in many different roles. Still have a clinical practice, um, but my current role is around designing care models and care development and how we transition from a value, volume-based world to a value-based world. And that's kind of what my, my energy is around now. <laughs> it takes a lot of your energy too. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's a big scope. I usually feel that it's important to start with why when we're discussing anything that we're doing. But in this case, can you start with a little bit of what is care design and how does it fit into our move towards value-based care? Absolutely, absolutely. So when we think about care design, it's really a collaborative process of how we make coordinated systematic changes in the care we provide. So when you think about in, in our quest to deliver quality in an efficient way, in an effective way, it's how we do that. So, so it kind of frames around team-based care, it involves preventive care, both acute and chronic management, coordination of that care. It's all those pieces put together in a, in a manner to which it really brings value to patients. Mm -hmm. It's also sometimes helpful to tell you what it's not. Mm -hmm. um, and what it is not is taking away autonomy from providers. I'm, I'm still an art of medicine guy, so having some of that flexibility is still really important and when we deliver clinical care. It's not about over-standardizing workflows and, and pushing providers into a box or linear thinking. Mm -hmm. um, it's not forcing into a one-size-fits-all. It's not that because it's an iterative process that has to be flexible and mold based on the needs of patients and quite honestly the needs of providers. Um, and it's, it's also not unnecessarily centralizing everything, right? Yeah. So, so there's some things that it might make sense to do that with, um, but there's a lot that maybe it doesn't. And so care design isn't an effort to try to make it a, a really one, you know, one way or the highway. It, it's not that. And I think it's important to, to really dispel any concerns or myths around that because I know around the country other systems who are going through care design or care redesign processes may view it a little differently. Well, that is a great introduction to care design and really how it becomes a benefit for both the patient and the providers, right? The physicians Absolutely. and all of our APCs who are taking care of our patients. So now let's talk a little bit more about the why then. Yeah. Why care design? Why are you focused on this? So, so I'm focused on it because healthcare is changing and society in general is demanding value. And, and that value is really defined as high quality and safe care delivered in a, with a phenomenal experience at an affordable price. And others may have heard that as the kind of triple aim of healthcare. And then, you know, there's a newer version of it that also adds a phenomenal provider experience or team member experience, which would be the quadruple aim of healthcare. And so, so that's really why. And when we think about that high quality and safe care, it's if you break down the components of that, 
you know, the high quality safe care is really all around, we have to reduce you know, unwarranted clinical variation. So, so where that occurs in our system, we've got we've to shrink that. We need to be more outcomes driven. So is the, are the things we're doing really achieving the high quality outcomes we intend them to? And really looking at that data and following it. And then it's a focus on being not only reactive to care needs for patients, but really being proactive for them and thinking about the patients before something happens to them. And how do we actually prevent it to enhance that quality and safety? When you think about the patient experience side, it's patients are demanding new access points that we haven't provided before. So whether that's virtual, whether that's retail, whether that's off hours, they want to connect with us in new and different ways. So we have to figure out how to leverage the technology, not work for the technology, but let technology work for us to engage patients in an efficient manner. You know, so how do we get that patient to the right place at the right time and the right level of care? That's a phenomenal experience for them, I think. When you look at the provider experience, it's really all about sustainability. So how do we save our providers? And, and I think that's team members too, because um, they are providing care. You know, how, do we, how do we keep them sustainable when every news article, every journal is saying burnout, burnout, burnout in the healthcare industry? So how do we do that? And, and then the affordability side, we also hear in the news and across every journal and news article is that healthcare is too expensive and it's, it's you know, driving the country into economic ruin. And so how do we enhance efficiencies to reduce waste? How do we, how do we again, reduce that clinical variation they may, that may reduce cost? So, so those, are, those are some of the reasons and how we can, and ways that we can really achieve that quadruple aim. And, and finally, which isn't the most important, but is important, is that the payment models are changing. So our payers are saying, we no longer want to pay for what you do. We want to pay for great outcomes and good value. And so in order to achieve that value, we've got to put a focus on care coordination. We've got to put incentives that reward delivering value because that's the way the models are shifting, payment models are shifting, but they're also moving to where they will, we will be at risk for costs of not bringing value. So there's a downside to that too. It's not only upside. Mm -hmm. So that's how I frame, that's how my brain thinks about, you know, why do we need to even go on this journey of redesigning the way we deliver care? You did a great job of explaining the work that's being done. So help our physicians and APCs understand why it's important for them to understand this planning is happening now. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest reason to be aware of what's of this process going on now is that it's going to require some effort on their part, specifically around change management. And change is hard. You know, in, in my experience, providers are fairly change resistant, um, and that's because of their education and their training and um, accountabilities that, you know, we like to do the way the things we like to do them. And, and this process and this shift in what our patients demand, our payers demand, and society demands is gonna require us to change. So we have to be a bit more change ready and adjust to new workflows. And so I think the more we can talk about our difficulty with change, our hesitancy to change, and, and think about ways to soften that, so to speak, and, and be more comfortable with change is important. I think the other is, is this will require lots of leadership at the clinic level. And, and whether we like it or not, providers by definition are seen as leaders in their spaces. Provider walks into a room, they're by default seen as a leader in that space. 
So how do we teach those skills to our providers to be that leader in their spaces around this change and to see it as positive for patients and keeping that patient in the center? So thinking about the role not only as the care provider, but as the leader of a team. Because um, I think that will be crucial for our success and really delivering value. And then I think the final thing is it's really about trust. And so providers are going to have to get comfortable with trusting their teams to work at the top of their licenses and let some things go. And that's really hard for a provider. When you're, when you're accountable for everything on the bottom line, there has to be great trust in that team to allow them to deliver the care that they're licensed to do and, and elevate them to the top of their license. So I, I think the more providers and teams can be aware of, specifically providers, around the leadership needs they'll need to develop or leadership skills they'll need to develop, comfortable with change management, and then building trust within their teams. I think th those things need to be happening now as we then develop the different pieces of the care design models that we will roll out as we move forward. That's great. I think you did. What I appreciated from what you said is that this is not change for change's sake, all right? There's nothing about this that is just upsetting the apple cart for no reason. Um, and many physicians that I talked to have been in medicine for decades have seen a plethora of changes over time and that we continually evolve. A huge part of what you describe with Cure Design does improve the patient experience and patient satisfaction. Let's focus on the quadruple aim, the expansion to the quadruple aim, aim and provider satisfaction and that joy in work. So tell us a little bit about your efforts and how that shows up to all of our physicians and APCs. Yeah, I think one of the biggest places we've seen that shift in dissatisfaction is when we went to an electronic record and there's this tendency of those to have much of the things default to the provider. Now, I would say that our dimensions team and our equity team have done a phenomenal job of trying to reduce that. But yes. just in general, that in-basket management and that feeling that, well, it's very easy to route this to a provider so I can, I can hit them with it and, and they can manage it. So part of this design process is really getting everyone to work at the top of their license, which should really free up the provider to be at the top of their license. So. Our goal is to have providers only doing the things that a provider is licensed to, to do. And the things that other people are licensed to do, well, they should be doing that um, because it enhances efficiencies. And our hope is that with that design, that provider can be more focused, have more time on the things that they're trained to do, which we believe will en enhance their satisfaction and get out of the weeds of more administrative work or, or other pieces of the day-to-day -day routine healthcare that doesn't require their input, or at least their license to do it. Um, the other is we should enhance efficiencies, right? So if we take, if we enhance the efficiencies and people are either in the tool, Epic, less, or the flow is better, hopefully we're giving them time back. So, you know, we've seen data from Dimension showing some providers in the tool 14, 16 hours a day. They're, they're in the tool from 8 to 10 at night. Well, that's taken away from family time. That's taken away from other interests, which is not good for sustainability of a provider, right? So we believe that the care design process models will give time back and allow people to focus on the other things that they get energy from. Because the reality is, hopefully everyone gets energy from their work, but we get lots of energy from other things. And so allow, creating time to focus on that. And I think the third is, is really 
leveraging the technology to work for us rather than us working for the technology. So I think there's a sense of out there, and I certainly feel this at times, that I'm working for the tool. And why isn't the tool working for me? And so, you know, your initiative around the gross initiative, getting rid of stupid stuff. I mean, I think that is huge when it comes to how that benefits the life of a provider to say, yeah, this is silly. I'm working for the tool. Let's fix that. And I think the team's been very responsive and, and doing a great job the Dimensions team doing a great job at diving into those and saying, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Let's make that better. Mm-hmm. And we see those small examples every day. And I think as we build those, and we f- that will take a bit of the weight off providers' shoulders over time. I agree. And I think that one of the things that you highlight here, and I hope you know all of our teams understand is, the benefit of being part of Novant Health and our system is our commitment to being able to provide those resources. And um, that part of that change management is the trust of saying, you know, we want to make sure that the teams are as effective in, in providing the care that um, we can to our patients and that there is a little bit of giving over some of that training and allowing the um, the uh, teams to be able to hold people accountable for how we enable the providers and support them, right? Without everyone having to figure it out themselves. And so tell me, how have you seen, what successes have you seen um, so far with the work you've done? Yeah, I think we've had several. Um, You know, one example I'd throw out there is on Medicare annual wellness visits. So one of the things we know is that clinics who had higher completion of Medicare new wellness visits. We've seen reduced emergency room visits, reduced hospitalizations, and increased quality scores, right? So so they're delivering a more value comprehensive to that patient population. Mm-hmm. Well, the hard part is there's only one, you know, when only physicians are doing that, they can only do so many at a time. So expanding that out to RNs and clinical pharmacists who have the license to do these has expanded our footprint and enhanced how many patients are actually getting these visits which is moving the needle on the quality. We're closing more quality gaps, we're providing better, higher quality care, which is great. You know, another one is around uh, room standardization, and that sounds simple, but within a clinic are all the rooms stocked and laid out in the same way, and and a huge initiative to get that done, what it's yielded is a big increase in efficiencies. And if you think about it, if you save a minute and a half per patient per day, you got 45 minutes to an hour back on your schedule to do other things where you didn't have to leave the room to go look for a certain gauze pad or a certain tool or whatever that might be. So room standardization has really helped on the efficiency side. Um, what we've seen with remarkable rooming is an increased quality on med rack and care gap closure and really helping elevate top of license work. So rooming CMAs putting, you know, pending orders and being sure that the med list is accurate, which is a high, high risk for patients as they transition across our care venues. Um, Closing the, teeing up those quality care gaps to be closed so when the provider comes in, they can just sign them and already having had the conversation. Improves efficiency, enhances patient compliance with getting those things done, and we're quite honestly, it's moving us to value. Another, Another cool example of that, that we've piloted and the pilot showed phenomenal results was around chronic care management. So having RN care managers in clinic helping provide safe and efficient transitions of care when patients are discharged from the hospital, but also providing chronic care around diabetes or hypertension or heart failure 
and touching those patients a bit more frequently showed reduced ED use, reduced hospital readmission rates and hospital admission rates in those pilot clinics, reducing total cost of care for those patients. So if we jump back to that quadruple aim around affordability, it's moving towards that. On high quality and safe, yeah, they're achieving better quality goals. They're doing better with their diseases. So those are some of the areas where we've seen some of the care design work really roll out and, and, and effectively move us toward value. So it's, it's exciting to see it. The, the other one I'd like to highlight is just our pre-visit planning pilots. So this notion of what type of pre-work, if you will, should we do before the patient shows up around agenda setting, around, you know, because patients come in with an agenda. We often have our own agenda. Sometimes those don't match. So how do you efficiently get through a visit achieving the things that we know they need from a quality perspective, but also meeting what they feel they need, um, which may not necessarily be what's on our agenda. That is important. So it's very important, especially for their experience, right? So how do we, you know, so these pre-visit planning pilots have shown that if we are a bit proactive in how we seek that information from patients, we can make the visit more efficient and better experience for the patient while still achieving those quality goals. So those are some of the some of the projects that have, have started her in pilot phase um, so far and we're seeing great results with them. I think it all sounds really promising and I know that there are many who are listening who will find a lot of uh, hope and, and benefit in what you describe. For anyone who hears standardization and sees that as a negative, tell, a, tell us a little bit about um, providers who, or who, who may be concerned about loss of control and that art and science of medicine yeah, and balance in it. Absolutely. No, I, I, you took the, you, I would answer that just what you said. It's a balance of control, right? So still being an art of medicine guy, I, I mean, I think we have to have flexibility. Not everything in medicine will be standardized. At the same time, there are some things in medicine that do make sense to standardize based on the evidence. So we have seen, for example, if you look at our low back pain protocol, we have seen better outcomes by following that low, bain, low back pain protocol with reduced imaging, mm -hmm. re reducing overtreatment of narcotic medications, increased use of physical therapy that ultimately achieves better outcomes for the patient. Following a protocol, so that makes sense. There's good evidence to support it. Similar with diabetes protocols, you know that the diabetic, the choices for medications in diabetes just continues to exponentially grow it seems to me and every class of medication of every class of diabetes medication will have six or seven choices so how do we wrap our brains around an efficient evidence-based high quality way to choose that well that makes sense for a protocol if you have a diabetic who's at this stage of their disease process then get them on the protocol and what we found is when we stay in the guardrails of those protocols we achieve patients achieve goals quicker which reduces long-term complications, which improves their quality and their experience. So, so I think it's, it's a balance of where do we protocol and standardize the things that make sense to reduce unwarranted clinical variation, to gain efficiencies, to reduce cost of care, at the same time leaving enough space in the guardrails for those individual patients where they may want a different choice or they may want a different, different um, treatment plan. So I think we have to have some of that flexibility in treatment models or in um, diagnostic models or algorithms. I think we have to have some flexibility in there, but I don't think it can be the wild, wild west of do it the way you always did it or the way you always wanted to do it because that has clearly been shown to reduce value, more expensive, less quality outcomes. 
because that's the way we did it at yeah, Hopkins, right. or that's the way we did it when we trained right. at Duke, right? <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I want to make sure people appreciate that you put a lot of time and energy into making sure that there is that balance of what is na what are national standards and guidelines and what is proven um, to be best for patient care and not just with the swipe of a pen changing things for the sake of changing them. So tell us what is next for Cure Design? What are you excited about this on the front? One thing I'm really excited about is um, finding a space where we can test things, right? So we have been very blessed with having lots of clinics who have been willing to pilot stuff. And that's not easy. I mean, when you come in with a pilot, you don't know how it's going to go. It mm -hmm. changes workflows. It's disruptive. Um, and we've been fortunate to have several groups in the medical group who've been willing to, to try things. I think the next step of that is to potentially have one place where we try a lot of things really fast. So we can go through those kind of PDSA type cycles where you test something, you learn from it, you look at the outcomes, you change and shift, look at it again, change and shift, and then have a well-vetted either process or plan that we can roll out quickly across the medical group. Because what I worry about, where I've got anxiety around healthcare in general, is it's changing so fast. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that we have a little bit of control over, but a lot of it we don't. So having a space where we can test quicker, I'm really excited about bringing that up and, and rolling through some of the thoughts we've had around of changes in how we deliver the care. Um, I think that's great. I, and I'm also excited about standardizing that process so that if I'm in a clinic and I know something's coming out of the care design shop, I know it's been vetted, I know it's shown to be successful, and I know it's going to roll out in a very standardized way. So taking kind of the, f reducing the fear and the anxiety clinics are going to feel when we come out and say, hey, we've got a new thought or a new process on how we do rooming of patients or how we do check-in or how we do whatever. The end of visit is another great example. Um, so we've kind of looked at the pre-visit planning and piloted that. Now we're looking at post-visit planning. So what does it mean when the provider finishes with the patient, then what? Does someone finish with them in the room, set up follow-up appointments or make sure the refills are done or is that done at check -in? I mean, looking at that process and how do we make that more efficient, clear so the patient understands it, they leave with information that they can read and understand, whether that's electronic through their MyChart or whether it's in hand via paper. But then how do we roll that? Once we define that, we know it works and it's great and patients love it and providers love it. How do we consistently roll that across 550 clinics, right? I mean, that's great our challenge. challenge. So the trick will be having a very streamlined process and how we do that. So we're excited about creating that. Um, and the other, which is a, a newer initiative going out that we're engaged with, is on these design standards mm -hmm. and design process. So one of the other things we know in the changing way we deliver the care is the space we deliver it in probably needs to change. There's lots of inefficiencies when you go to team-based care, for example, um, that our current clinic setups, it, it will be difficult to do. So what's the ideal or what are some a couple of ideal models of clinical spaces, how do we test our care models in those spaces, and then new spaces built to look like that, old spaces, how can we tweak, what can we do to transform them, knowing that we've got a lot of real estate out there with 
lot of long lease times, so we can't just walk away from them. So how do we transform them in affordable ways that they can still deliver in these new models? So that, that's been rolling for a few months, and that's a really exciting team that I think is doing a lot of work, um, great work that we're getting engaged with. And the, the last one I would put would say that we're really excited about is engaging around the um, social determinants of health. And it's clear that if we don't come up with strategies on how to help patients solve those social determinants challenges that they face, we will beat our heads against the wall when it comes to being worried about them achieving quality outcomes or having great experiences. We just won't be successful. 60 to 70% of the time, their challenge is not a healthcare problem. It's a social determinants problem. So, so solving that with our community engagement team and with our other teams that are diving deeply into how do we screen for it, how do we connect with community partners through my community, how do we build our own internal capabilities to solve some of those things with integrated behavioral health and some of those other models. I'm really excited at figuring out how we integrate that into the care design work because it's, it's crucial and we won't be I don't believe, my point of view, is that we will not be successful in fully delivering value to our patients if we don't have a solution for that. I appreciate your time on this because one thing for sure that you've shown us, not only how wonderful it is for your patients to continue to have you there for them and the impact you have one patient at a time, but how much your work is gonna mean for our entire system, for all of our patients, for our communities really. And um, we appreciate, I appreciate you taking your time and energy and focusing on this because I think it's gonna make all of us better. And I'm excited about tomorrow and next year and the next decade with what we can do with what you're building off of. So thank you so much for your time yeah. today. Well, thanks for, thanks for letting me be here. Thanks again for joining me for the Delivering Remarkable podcast. Make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can bring you more episodes like this one.